FNO InsureTech presents Bob Frady, CEO and co-founder of Hazard Hub. I got a new car and it had a GPS in it. And, um, you know, GPSs are great. You make a wrong turn, they come back, they tell you the right way to go. So I decided I was going to try to break this GPS and see how much it could take. So I made like six wrong turns in a row. And the first five, it was great. But then in the sixth wrong turn, it went, <sighs> if you didn't want my advice, why did you ask me in the first place? <laughs> and I looked at the voice settings, and it turns out it was set to wife. <laughs> so I changed it to girlfriend. And I made six wrong turns, and it goes, I just love your sense of adventure. <laughs> Hey, podcast world, that was today's guest, the one, the only, Bob Frady from Hazard Hub. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. That was Bob. funny. We've had a lot of different introductions on this show, but we've never had a, 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 a little stand-up to start a show off. What do you think of that, Lee? I thought it was great. No, I, uh, I had no idea that, that Bob Frady was a stand-up uh, comedian. Our Cracker Jack podcast content producer, Alicia Moss, went out into the wonderful wide world of the internet and found a video of Bob doing stand-up, which he used to do but is retired from as he pursues Hazard Hub full-time. And was he was good enough to uh, give us a, a sample of his work. I appreciate that. You know, that's, that's wonderful, Bob. It was that very was funny. Wonderful. Was you know, very speaking funny. of the internet, there's a lot of... Uh... A lot of things you can find out there on that World Wide Web, aren't there? Yeah, like, for example, maybe what are the underwriting risks for your home? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be neat if there was a company that could collect and produce data to help insurance companies underwrite their risk better? Using just like one source? Using multiple sources and allowing APIs. Cool. So using scores of different data sources, bringing them together to give you very pertinent and important underwriting information for your home. Exactly. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. Is there someplace you could go to look at that? You know, I happen to know a guy who can maybe <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. You know a guy who knows a guy. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not going to give it away. You have to listen to the episode, but it's on the episode. Bob Frady, co-founder and CEO of Hazard Hub, will be with us today, and he will be talking about many things to do with underwriting and the underwriting data world, including a free site that they stand up where you can put in your home address and find out about relative underwriting risks of, of your own home or any property, I guess, in the United States. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of new for us because we haven't really touched in the underwriting world before. So this is the first time we're in there. What do we think about that, Lee? What do we think about underwriting? I think it's great. You know, we talk a lot about claims and I mean, you, you've got to have a policy uh, before you have a claim. Therefore, you have to underwrite the policy. And a lot of times during claims, you find information that can help underwriting on renewal. So it's this giant circle that really works hand in hand. So I think this is a great place to, to start talking about underwriting. Hazard Hub, Bob's company, we, we've met a few times at a couple of different conferences and events. A straight startup company, not VC funded 
but four years old, been around for a while and getting a lot of traction out there because not only do they provide their data directly to carriers, they provide it baked into other products and services that are out there. So very interesting company that we want you to hear more about. Yeah, let's do it now. So without further ado, here is our interview with the Jerry Seinfeld of InsureTech, Bob Frady. Hey, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of an Take intro. Two. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> we are here with our very special guest, Mr. Bob Frady, CEO and co-founder of Hazard Hub, coming to us today from... Orange County, California, baby. Beautiful hey. Orange County, California. So this is one of those podcasts where we have two people in California separated by only 500 miles and everyone else in texas so how you doing bob i am i am fantastic it's a little hot outside today it's really uh, it's up over 80 degrees which makes us a little worried this time of year in california worried um, about wildfires oh uh, yeah the rain's supposed to come tomorrow so let's hope it gets here uh, sooner rather than later uh, we'll be talking we'll be, i think i think we'll probably cover a little wildfire action as we get deeper into today's podcast. Sure. So you are the CEO, as I mentioned, CEO and co-founder of Hazard Hub. Why don't you give us a minute or two on what the heck Hazard Hub is and what you guys do? Sure. Hazard Hub, in a nutshell, uh, tells you all the bad stuff that can happen to a property. So wind, hail, tornado, lightning, storm surge, wildfire, flood, ice dams, mold formation, all of the, the, the things that can cause a problem with a property, whether it's commercial or personal, are the things that we try to measure. Uh, we also look at some basic data like where's the fire hydrant, where's the fire station, what are the property characteristics of that location, how many bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, what's the building construction type, et cetera, et cetera. So lots and lots of data to help you understand what the risks are of a property. Because the more you know. Yeah. The, well, you know, it's actually interesting because when we built this company, we built it because my former mother-in-law had a flood at her property. Uh, she lived near a river in Massachusetts. And so we looked up all the data and saw that she wasn't in a flood zone, but she was right next to one. And then I asked her, did anyone ever tell you that you were right next to a flood zone? And she said, no. And then the river did what it does, flooded out her basement and caused a $30,000 loss, and so which was uncovered. And so I thought, well, we can build a company to solve for that. So we did. And initially, our goal was for the consumer to know what all of the risks are around their property, because it's usually their biggest investment. And right. we want to help them sure. to protect it. But we also knew that there was a B2B market for this data with carriers and companies who work with carriers. So we've tabled the consumer end for now, but we do hope to get back there sometime in 2020. Well, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I, th I think the consumer part is very interesting is that you, you really have, as far as I know, two websites out there. You have your Hazard Hub website, mm -hmm. which has all the company information and the yep. B2B information, if you will. But you also run this interesting little side hustle called Home Free Risk. Free Home Risk. For, uh, for, excuse me. How, that's right. How do, the, how do they fit together? Well, they're both driven off the same API. So the data that you get on one would be the data that you get on the other. 
initially what we were going to do is we were going to build a consumer product using free home risk as a free report that people could get and then invite them to apply for insurance on the back end. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that we weren't very good at developing that back end. Uh, but we decided to leave that. I mean, we're always a consumer company first. It's like there's a real imbalance between what carriers know and what insureds know. And we are looking to sort of rectify that imbalance. So free home risk was our actually our very first property, what we launched with. And it's free for anyone. You can type in your address and get a report card for that address. We think that there's a lot more we could do with that, um, which would come into uh, play later, but we wanted to, you know, you have to, you have to have revenue in order to build uh, products. And, uh, and right now the hazard hub side of the business is, is, is generating the lion's share of our revenue. So hazard hub, you, you are a, a data company, is that right? Correct. And so basically you are gathering data from, I guess, all over America from different entry points, capturing all that, and then presenting a, a report or, or APIs to help underwriters correctly underwrite risk. Is that is that it in a nutshell? In a nutshell, that's it. You know, we, we did a focus group at, a, at an event with a bunch of insurers about a month or so ago, and they said that three of the biggest problems were that underwriters don't have enough data to properly underwrite a location, uh, which we helped solve for. The second is that uh, cats can be a tremendous surprise to them, catastrophes, and we do a pretty good job of uh, not necessarily telling you whether it will happen, but how likely it is to happen at a particular location. And then the third is that it takes them forever to create a price. Because the data coming in is so slow, they want to be able to price faster. And all three of those are what we focus on with, uh, with Hazard Hub. I see. So I read where where you have an API and companies can can tap into that API and pull data pretty much at lightning speed. Is that is that correct? Did I hear that right? Correct. Lightning moves slightly faster, but we're on a goal to get uh, to get that fast. Right now, you type it in the or you send us an API request, and it takes about two and a half seconds to get back uh, over seven hundred pieces of data about that particular property. And is that data collected from? you know, a couple of sources or is it many, many, many sources? Many, many, many. Uh, all together with all the data sources that we have, it's close to 700 different data sources that we have. You know, there are some that are bigger than others, but there are some that we gather ourselves, like we gather. Yeah, that that was my question. Yeah. Yep. We build our own fire station database. We had looked at some of the available tools and we're like, eh, we're missing a lot of stations. So we built our own. We update it every day and publish those updates every other month. And then we build our own fire hydrant network. What we found is that fire hydrant coverage was one of those things that people talk about it, but Mm -hmm. they don't actually have the databases to show where hydrants are located. And because, you know, we are gluttons for punishment, uh, we decided to build our own fire hydrant database. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be hard. hard. Very hard. Yeah. It's, it, we have a full team dedicated to it now where we'll go into a state. We're like locusts. We'll go into a state and we'll drive the state and we'll pull out where the hydrants are and, and publish them all or put them into our database. So mm-hmm. it's a painstaking process. But luckily, you know, hydrants don't move very quickly. Uh, so once you have them, they're there. Uh-huh. Uh, and it really gives us a lot of insight as to 
we're seeing a lot of things because we have this data that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a unique data set. It's a pain in the neck data set to build. It's taken us three years to get to 10 and a half million hydrants, but it's incredibly valuable in terms of understanding the risk of a problem. You know, as a Boy Scout, I remember we did numerous Eagle projects where we would go paint the top of fire hydrant certain colors. Uh, red or green. And I don't know if this was everywhere, but where I live, certain fire hydrants have certain pressures. Yep. Uh, and it, is that something you also capture or is that even needed? I, I don't even know if that's needed. You know, it, we don't capture that. You know, the assumption that we make if, is that if there's a fire hydrant there, it's there to put water out. Right. The degree that it puts out water is is always subject to local interpretation so we try to standardize that and not consider that in the building of the of the hydrant data set well that's good and that was a you know i never knew if it was uh, based on the actual city decided it or if it was the pressure at that time but i know water pressure goes up and down even during periods of the day so i didn't know how accurate that was yeah it's you know i'm sure that if you had the best measurement devices on every hydrant they could give you an accurate answer and it's not that there, anybody's trying to do a bad job or be misleading. It's such a variable across the data set that we just decided to take it out and not try to gather it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're getting tens of millions of fire hydrants. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You got it right uh, with me. I have, a, I have a fire hydrant almost in my front yard on, on, the, uh, on your free site. I was able to kind of locate that. I mean, I'm, I'm close to a fire hydrant. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. You know, it's you. So I went to, I went to a family vacation earlier this year, and we ended up renting a house out in the desert. And and we pull up to the house, and there's a fire hydrant in the front lawn. And I'm like, even when I'm not trying to find fire hydrants, I'm finding fire hydrants. <laughs> They're everywhere, which yeah. is great. It's They're wonderful. Everywhere. Um, I am curious on this being a underwriting tool that is is used in insurance, which is typically a very traditional business model. You know, they do things certain ways, and sometimes it's hard to change, especially in the underwriting model. They've been very successful. They're high profits. They they know what they're doing, but there's always room for improvement and more. What is the adoption like? Are are are, are you seeing pushback, or are you seeing people accepting this new data and trusting it? Well, I joke with people that I started in InsureTech because I wanted to make money as slowly as possible. <laughs> um, and, and you, How's that working out? And, and I was absolutely correct. <laughs> um, here's, what, here's what we know based upon this is now our fourth year as a company, but our third year in the market is there are a lot of people who are doing very well. And frankly, the business model has been around. The law of large numbers is a fantastic business model. It's been around for you know, hundreds of years and has worked very well. So you, you, you can't go into this business expecting a, an overnight success, especially when you're – the second part is if you're touching the core, which is actuarial and underwriting, it's an even slower process than if you're on something like you know marketing or something like that. Right. So we knew it's it even was, a more exclusive club. Yeah. So we knew it was going to be slow, but what we also know is that some of the existing providers out there aren't necessarily the easiest folks in the world to work with, and they have a lot of acquisitions that they have to pay for, and they they get you coming and going. So for people who 
value the sharper knife, we're an excellent alternative. Uh, we quadrupled last year. We're on track to quadruple again this year. Uh, quadrupling again next year, the, the number gets bigger, but um, we're on, we have ideas about how to do that as well. Uh, so we're starting to see some real uptake. But then the second part of it is, you know, if your data stinks, you're not going to sell anything. And part of what we do is we give our data to people to say, try it out and see how you like it. And they make the decision themselves to bring us on or not bring us on. That, that elongates the sales cycle enormously, but it makes for a better sale or makes for a better client relationship in the long run because we're not selling them anything. You know, they're proving to themselves that this stuff is better than what they currently have. And the adoption rate's been very strong on that so far. The bigger the company, the longer it takes. Um, yes. But we're starting to see some real progress, even in those larger companies. Good. I saw a statistic that said that this kind of information or the data that I guess underwriters in general are working with they, or policies, they, 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 they have 30% error rate. Is that correct? It depends on who you talk to and what exactly that you're looking at. Some people will say it's 30%. Other people will say it's 50%. You know, when, when, you're when, you, when you have a manual process, you introduce error. Just, it's, it's, as, it's just the way it is. It's not limited to insurance. And a lot of this data gathering is a manual process where either the agent has to collect it or the insured has to provide it or some level of scraping is done from public resource data to try to gather it. And those all introduce error. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is just to eliminate that level of error. We're not going to eliminate all 30% of application errors. You know, that's just, that's not what we're, that's not what we're doing, but we do try to make a dent in that number. That's for sure. Like we, we have, we had a customer who just came on with us. And one of the reasons they came on with us is because they didn't know the square footage of the property that they were writing. And I'm like, how can you be writing a property when you don't know the square footage? Right. And they were like, well, we, we think we know it, but we don't know it. And what we discovered is that some of the properties that they were writing were significantly different in size than what they thought they were writing. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, is your customers... Your, your your business plan, your business model, you don't just sell to insurance carriers, correct? Correct. Correct. We, we're focused on the insurance industry, but we say that our market are insurance carriers and the companies who love them. Uh, I like that. So it could be, yeah, because you know what? It's it, it, as much of a pain in the neck it is, as it is for us to sell to a carrier. It's just as much of a pain for them to onboard a new provider. So yes. we'll port our data in through other platforms or other systems that allow carriers to get the data without having to have a new relationship. So you're working with other underwriting tool companies, if you will. Correct. Uh -huh. it, might be a, a, it might be an imagery company. It might be a policy admin system. It might be an AI company. Um, it might be an inspection company where we're providing the data that they then provide to their end customer. So what are some of the some of the data points yeah, you capture? You know, I went on and I did the the free home risk and I got um mm -hmm. I think 16 I think 16 checks uh you know earthquake wind I got a score on those. What are some of the other 
um, data points you can capture to really help out with the underwriting? Well, you, you know, I think the the first set of data are what we call the basics. How far are you from the coastline? And and frankly, there's a lot of disagreement about what it got exactly the coastline represents. Okay, is it the is it the beach or is it where water might come into your house, a water entry point? Right. So so we provide multiple distances to the coast, a high resolution and a low resolution, uh, and a beach resolution for people who really like to know where the beach is. Then things like where's the fire station? You know, not only we we see we measure these data sets. The fire station database changes about a hundred stations per month. Will either close or move or temporarily close, and that doesn't mean that much when you're looking at a total database of almost fifty six thousand units. But if you're underwriting that property, it means a heck of a lot in terms of how well that house is covered. Right. Um, then the hydrant stuff, you know, it, it still amazes me that when you take an application, people want to know where your nearest hydrant is. And the answer most people have is, well, I don't know, it's around here somewhere. Sure. And we help to eliminate that question. Trust me. So, trust me. There's one in my neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. There's one around here somewhere. Mm. I know it. I've seen it. Mm. And, uh, let me get my dog to go find it kind of a thing. Um, so that basic piece of information is is really some of our most popular yeah. pieces of information and then that second category is the perils it's you know um what's your risk of damaging wind event of a hail of a tornado wildfire getting a lot of attention out west flood you know not just fema flood but storm surge and our own flood model that looks at okay you know you might um you might think that you're outside of flood risk because you're not in a FEMA zone, but guess what? You know, rivers aren't very good at obeying where the FEMA zones are. Right. They're, they're very willful. They go where they want to. Um, the other other basic piece of information that we provide is elevation of a property. You know, good one. Because a lot of times it's what's the what's the elevation of this location versus what's the elevation of the nearby water. Uh, so lots and lots of um, risk around peril. And then in the commercial line side, we have things like where are the underground storage tanks uh-huh. in this location? Where are the toxic release facilities? Where are the brownfields and where are the Superfund sites? Because a lot of times commercial lines carriers will carry extra risk because of the property of the, of the um, environmental impact to the pro- policy that they're writing. So lots and lots of specialized data in the commercial line space. And then characteristics you know what are the what are the things that define this property does it have a basement you know what what's the number of stories in this location what's the square footage in this location yeah i'm interested in in the superfund part and of course i'm interested because when i ran my address i'm 4000 feet from a superfund site mm-hmm. that's uncomfortable well yeah <laughs> yeah what what is a superfund it's um, Lee, Lee's showing his age. Lee's fourteen, so he doesn't know what super yeah. funds are. Well, what is it, Rob? Uh, I'll let Bob go ahead. It <laughs> is uh, a toxic area um, declared oh. by the government in need of cleanup. Basically, um, some of the worst uh, environmental locations. It could have been uh, 
a manufacturing facility that leached chemicals into the ground. It could be a chemical storage facility. It could be a variety of different things. Um, but a lot of a lot of the manufacturing um, that we did in this country, you know, pre EPA especially, went straight into the ground, and it poisons the ground. Uh, and super funds are a way to sort of delineate those areas and, um, and cordon them off for uh, redevelopment or wow. for uh, getting fixed. So, like with the super fund, the the government or government. Databases must be a huge tre treasure trove for you guys. Yep. Yeah, EPA databases certainly are. And, you know, the, the risk in something like a Superfund site doesn't come from the site itself generally. It comes from, well, what happens if there's a flood in your neighborhood? Then that's, then that's where you have a lot of danger from Superfund sites because if the flood is encompassing, then that those chemicals can leach into the surrounding water. Mm -hmm. which is uh, bad news for, for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. um, there was just an article published today about a government agency that said that 60% of Superfund sites are at risk from uh, climate change. And, you know, putting aside all of the issues about sea level rise and all that stuff, there are a significant number of uh, Superfund sites that are at danger from just pure flood. You know, and, and, and flood's probably the worst risk. You know, wildfire, probably, there's some risk, right. but flood's probably the number one risk. Right, for, because for right. that's just going to wash over the damn thing. And, yep. Uh, and and then whatever whatever's sloshing around in the ground there is going to move around in the flood, by exactly. the flood waters, right. Yep, um, in, and it leaching into the water supply is probably the... But the it can be so, something as seemingly innocuous as, as like an abandoned gas station, right? That, that's, that's a brownfield. Um, a brownfield, which we also measure separately, uh, a brownfield would be, it could be a dry cleaning uh, location uh, or an abandoned gas station or a bakery or something where the ground needs to be repaired, but it's not nearly as encompassing as a Superfund site mm -hmm. uh, would be. Mm -hmm. One other question on your uh, free home risk. I, I live in Northern California. I live near Sacramento and I scored C on my on hail mm -hmm. i would i would think that hail is one of the primary um uh, risks that you guys measure or that people are interested in mm -hmm. certainly yep um why would i grade out a c in a place where there's little or almost no hail and when it happens it's the size of a p well it's hard to say um without looking at your specific location uh, there are anomalies that we sometimes see, but usually it's because people's memories aren't as long as the weather patterns. And we do look for um, larger one-inch hail, uh, the ability for it to be formed in the atmosphere. Uh, so without looking at your location, it's hard to say. Uh -huh. But also, we've recently undergone a pretty major upgrade to our wind, hail, tornado, and lightning data sets that may change the score for that area um, because we recognize that some of these some of these numbers look they're okay they're from um, government data sources but they could be better and and uh -huh. that's that's the other thing that we try to do is uh, if we see something that's a better way to handle the problem we we attack it mm -hmm. and and not attack it in a negative way but we attack the problem and try to figure out a better way to supply the answer and some of our new wind, hail, tornado, and lightning data, which will be updated in 
free home risk at the beginning of December um, may change the score for that location. Well, before there's a couple other questions we want to ask you, but before we move on from this, I think it's really great and progressive that you guys have a uh, a site like Free Home Risk that you're you're sharing the data. It's not a mystery. It's you know, and and in the insurance world, as you know, we're used to people being very closed and keeping their cards very very close to their chest, and and think there's a lot of secrets. And a lot of things we don't talk about or tell anybody. And so it's refreshing. And I think that this is one of the interesting aspects of InsurTech for our industry and one of the really positive influences that's not necessarily measured in the insurance industry is that it's kind of pushing the insurance industry to be more transparent and open. And it's okay if people know stuff, right? Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's like family dynamics, you know. Uh, back in the day, people never said anything about anything, you know, so then you deal with all this frustration and you wonder why, you know, you don't know certain things. Well, now people tend to be more open, whether that's good or bad, you know, you can, you can draw your own conclusions, but we vote for openness because we're really convinced that if you know what the risks are of your property, you will take precaution than if you did more precaution than if you didn't know what the risks were around your property. And by the way, a C grade is not all that bad. A C is average. It's like a high school grade. It's not great. Your parents might be disappointed, but you didn't fail. So, so I'm yeah, I'm not going to get grounded. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay, because I'm like hesitating to show this to my wife because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have to sign off at her. Right? That's that's immediately what she's going to focus in on. C. <laughs> <laughs> that's average. That's okay. What is what? What is is the grading? I I live in Waco where we get hell all the time, and a D is what I got. Is yep. that the lowest? Is it okay? Uh, no, F F is the lowest. F is the worst ten percent of risk generally. Um, mm -hmm. okay. So of of all the places in the country, F would be the worst ten percent of places. Uh, then a D is the next twenty percent lower. So you're in the bottom thirty percent, but not the worst ten percent as a D. And yeah you get some hail down there. And, yeah. and what about, what about earthquake? Because, uh, you know, I live in Northern California, although Sacramento is pretty, um, uh, geologically stable relative mm -hmm. to some other areas in California, like where you are, for example, or, um, or, or, or the Hayward fault in the Bay area. How do you guys, where, where does that come from? Is that, um, the USGS. Thank you. I knew it had a name. I, I could I could I could hear I was, it just waiting. I was to get testing. Out. It was testing. I was <laughs> testing. We start with the USGS data, uh, and we build our models based upon some of the base data in USGS. Um, a lot of times, earthquake will come down to a soil factor. Like mm -hmm. if you sure. if you remember the Loma Pietra quake, you know there were some areas that. Um, had a lot of damage in some other areas that were proximal that didn't have as much damage, which is really a factor of liquefaction. Liquefaction. Um, right. You know, does the soil turn water-like? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at one of the biggest earthquakes, almost damaging earthquakes in the country, um, it was actually in the Midwest um, in the uh, New Madrid uh, fault area where all that soil basically just turned to jelly and the buildings all fell down. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a huge concern. In the Midwest. So we look at a variety of factors 
primarily tied to MMI uh, and what the damage level would be based upon what we think the underlying soil looks like. So um, it's a it's a little more art than science and in, in the scores for that. But with all of our data, we always give you the grade. And we don't do this on free home risk because we don't want to we don't want to confuse people with too much data. But for the back end, for our underwriting and actuarial customers, we give not only our grade, but we give what was used to create that grade and we give you all of the inputs that were used to create that grade. And we'll even give you the schema if you're a customer. So we're very open about how we've created this. If you don't believe it, or if your data says, oh, I, I, don't, want, I don't like this factor, so I want to increase or decrease the emphasis on it, we give you all of that data. We don't believe in black boxes. We're super open about our data um, and want you to be comfortable with it before we would ever ask you to use it. Cool. I want to talk for a few minutes about being an insure tech. Mm-hmm. which um, which you guys certainly are. In fact, congratulations, I saw you on the FinTech Global Top 100 InsureTech list. Yeah, thank you. It was, uh, it was a, a lovely surprise. And the best part of it is I showed my kids and they're like, I thought you collected hydrants for a living. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's right, your dad's top 100. Just that's first. right. Now go clean your room. Uh-huh. <laughs> Big uh-huh. deal. So has that uh, has that gotten you a little uh, notice, a little attention? Yeah, it certainly has. You know, I think the hardest part for any insure tech um, is is awareness. You know, the the number one question we get asked by every carrier we talk to is, "Well, who else is using you?" Um, and really? Sure. Sure. Yeah. To which point I say, "Well, if you have to ask that question, you're not really ready to work with us." Um, because you're just sort of doing a me too type of thing, mm-hmm. which is really sort of a, it's a little smug and a little flip of an answer. And it's really not, not that fair. This is a surety based business and you have to have people feel comfortable with who you are. One of the ways that they feel comfortable is by other people recognizing who you are, their peers. So when they ask us that question, who else are you working with? They're just looking for that safety to say, okay, these guys are legit. So when we get the things like the top 100, that's another way that people see that we're legit. Mm-hmm. And then when we test our own data against their book, then they see how legit we actually are. So it's all trying to answer the legitimacy question. And that top 100 certainly does uh, help to answer that legitimacy question. Well, I think the legitimacy question is important because I've, I'm sure that most carriers anyways who have who have used different insure tech tools not everyone turns out to be so cool and terrific as it might seem up front. And I mean, we've even had that experience. The, the, the insure tech tools that we use at our company are different than they were a year ago, different companies, different providers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reason being is, is that, you know, the, the, these are mostly very small companies trying to make their way. They may be VC funded or, um, but, but, and they may have some money behind them, but they're, you know, pedaling as fast as they can to provide a product. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like we were saying before, you know, when you talk about carriers, you talk about conser- being conservative and being careful and being risk averse. So trying new companies is always going to be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's the, the ultimate challenge of the insure tech. 
is how do you get enough um, how how do you get enough in terms of success so that you can convince sort of how do you cross the chasm is is really what it comes down to, mm-hmm. which is what every startup has to do, regardless of industry. Right. It just takes longer and it's harder in the insurance business. And and you'll see some successes that are relatively overnight, but they're never really um, overnight successes. And it's it's a <laughs> it's a challenging business to be in, that's for sure. It's yeah, no question. One of the things that we've learned, one of the things that we've discovered is is that you know that, that there's this large ecosystem out there not only to support insure techs, but to push them forward and to help them along. But there's a bazillion insure techs. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys aren't the only data under, underwriting data uh, play out there. Well, the, one of the interesting things is we are actually su- a supplier to a lot of people who compete with us um, because we know that our data is not the only answer that people want to have. They might mm-hmm. want to have some other data sources mm-hmm. right. that are mm-hmm. all together. And so we provide our data to those people. And it doesn't matter to us how you get our data as long as you're getting it. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at someone um, like a Demist data or a Fenris, you know, that are multi-sourcing pieces of information or even an Experian or an Equifax that's providing this level of data, we're the supplier of that data. So it creates a little bit more confusion. Um, but our, our reason for doing that is we don't want any artificial barriers to doing business with us. So if you want to get it through this company, great. You want to get it through us directly, great. You want to get it through somebody else, fantastic. As long as you're getting the data. The sweet, sweet Hazard Hub data. It's, it's been great to have you on today, Bob. We, um, like we said at the top, we don't get to spend a lot of time in and around underwriting and, but it's such an integral, it's cornerstone piece of the insurance equation. And, uh, and we, and we, (laughs) we at the claims end of it deal with underwriting insights or lack thereof every day. So it's kind of cool to hear more about it. Well, thank you. You know, I think that the, the, the claims departments and the underwriting departments uh, may share the same brand, but sometimes they just don't spend enough time talking to each other. Um, we we look at things as sort of pre-game, in-game, and post-game. Pre-game is how do I learn as much as I can about a property before I decide to write it? That's where we come in. Then there's in-game. All right, there's a there's a tornado going on. You know, is it going to hit my house? That we don't mess around with that one too much. And then there's post-game, which is the claims area. Something mm-hmm. happened. How can I better use this knowledge to inform the front end so I write a better policy or price that policy better? Sure. And, that, and that's where we think a great disconnect happens. And, and maybe we just don't see it because we're not as involved on the claims end. But claims can be so powerful in informing underwriting that I think it's a, a missed opportunity for those customers where those groups don't talk. To each other you, you hear a lot more about it uh, than than we used to about cl- about specific claim information being cycled back to the underwriting department and I think that many carriers particularly the the, the good the really good ones are, are getting better and better at that because why wouldn't you want to capture those data points and now there's tools and 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 products out there that can 
even do that automatically, I'm sure. And, yep. Um, That's uh, why we're here as the insure techs to help bridge those gaps. Okay. Well, it's cool to have a straight up good old American insure tech on our show. Thank you. And, uh, and we really appreciate it. And um, I, I, we saw you at the property information report, Brian Sullivan's conference last week, and we'll look yes. forward to where, where are you next? Uh, I'm speaking in San Antonio at some event in the beginning of December. And then after that, I'm, I'm on an airplane visiting customers somewhere for pretty much the next two to three months, okay. um, which is where I'd rather be, you know, it, 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 as lovely as this is. And as much as I've enjoyed speaking with you guys, you don't write any checks. So, you know, no, sir, I need to get, don't. need to find where the money is. We're a receiver of checks, not a writer <laughs> of checks. <laughs> if all goes well. Well, listen, thank you so much. And um, be nice, Lee. Say goodbye. Thank you very much, Bob. Lee, it was a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> Even though Rob did most of the talking. Yeah, you, that's how Rob yeah, is. You right. had the good questions. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Well, that was enjoyable. You know, there's so much, so much data out there, isn't it? I mean, just think about what, what all we talked about with the weather data, the size of the home. You can even get photos of a home. There's so much data. Uh, I think that Hazard Hub really has a neat market that they're, that they're going after here. Yeah. And I really like that they're not buying off more than they can chew. They're not creating some kind of end-to-end -end underwriting, right? Uh, one size fits all, one-stop shop thing. They're they're a data company, and they're about data, and they've ferreted out and created so many sources um, that other either carriers or underwriters or other underwriting products can take into their own program. Yeah, I thought that was interesting when Bob was saying that they have actually gone out and captured data of their own. A lot of times, you don't hear of these data companies doing that uh, on the underwriting. They're bringing it in from government or Zillow or different places, uh, but they've actually gone out and, and even gone as far mm -hmm. as counting fire hydrants. Uh, and I imagine that's a database that they can uh, can mm -hmm. share with others. It's a very neat business model. I thought it was neat how they pivoted, uh, originally going straight to the to the consumer. To consumer. And, right. and pivoted, you know, actually going to the insurance companies. But it, it's a logical step in my book. And uh, I think mm -hmm. it's a... I think it's a win. I think it's a very neat company. Great, great people behind it. And for those of us who don't work in underwriting, we work with underwriting sometimes, but not in it. Uh, it's very different than claims and certainly very related because the better you do one, the less you have to do of the other. Exactly. Theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have good underwriting. You've got to write the right policies and that'll help you decrease your claims. Uh, but even in the interview, when we talked about the circle, bringing claim data back over into your underwriting report for your renewals, I mean, it's a, it's a very important, uh, cycle of, of data and information. And he's a retired standup. I think once you are, you always are. Oh, really? You don't think you, you don't graduate from that? No, I don't think so. it disappears. I think it's always there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's kind of like a condition you have for the rest of your life. I think so. I think so. Uh-huh. Well, listen, we're all really grateful for Bob for his funny for his willingness to give us a little stand-up sample at the top of our show today. And we loved having him on with us. And we continue to try to survey everything that's 
happening in InsureTech from one end to the other. And this was another example today. And uh, thank you, Bob, for being with us. And we ask that you join us next time and subscribe to our podcast. And that's about it. Did I forget anything, Lee? No. No. Except, except what? Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>